Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we talk about various artist compilations song by song. You can get early access to these episodes by donating to our Patreon at the $5 level at patreon.com slash discordpod. I'm Ben Marlin, and I'm here with Rich Bennell and Mike DeFabio. And we are covering Nuggets, original artifacts from the first psychedelic era, 1965 to 1968. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> this is part of a series, and right now we are discussing disc two, tracks one through eight. Yeah, the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the expanded Rhino Records box set uh, of Nuggets. So not the old uh, the vinyl version. No, not the dusty old Nuggets. This is the new 1998 one. Well, I guess okay. it's old. I guess it's old now, but you know, time is a river. <laughs> the first song on disc two of Nuggets is by the Music Machine, a song called Talk Talk. I got me a complication, and it's an old child. To my reputation, something more than what I know it's in me right. But I can't sleep at night Talk Talk, the song, not the band, though the band is excellent, uh, by The Music Machine, was released in November 1966 and hit number 15 on the Hot 100. Um, and The Music Machine were from Los Angeles and were the project of gu- guitarist-slash-songwriter Sean Bonowell, um, who was originally a clean-cut folkie with the group The Wayfarers. Bonowell was looking to create something with what he called fuzz and fangs, so he assembled The Music Machine, and he called it that because Bonowell, he would use stage trickery to, in his words, segue way sick the songs together <laughs> into one continuous performance. Uh, sick joke. Yeah, and uh, actually, like, nobody did that at the time, and the funny part is that apparently the reason was uh, to prevent managers from running on stage and asking them to cover the big chart hits of the day, which is a solution I very much respect. So... My take on it is that this is the f- perfect way to start off the expanded nuggets because it feels sort of first in line in terms of like the sheer influence of the song. Like this basically started punk in a way like this is among the first loud, rebellious teen music. Um, as Bonowell himself put it, quote, rock and roll was a teenager in the 60s. And I used that climate to express my confusion, my anger at the injustice of the world. And uh, the song has at the time unconventional fuzz bass and four distinct rhythms in less than two minutes. And they don't even sing the title until the end. So like, it's like, you know, just like heaven or the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs> <laughs> The point in regard to punk is that the music machine threw out all the rules here, and for that reason, this has been cited as proto-punk. It's really, I, I agree that this was a perfect choice to, to start off the expanded 
section with because it's the the influence on this one is just enormous and it's easy to forget listening to it now this was probably the heaviest thing around in 1966 it just sounds so mean i mean the the guy's voice just he sounds like a leather jacket uh i like that <laughs> thank you uh it's got yeah the the fuzz bass you mentioned is just dominates the song and it's it barely two minutes long it just kind of throws you to the ground stomps you and leaves yeah it's a real hammer of a song yeah and i don't think i mean not just punk but i think you know heavy metal sprang directly from this as well this just seems like a, a really great like channeling by rock of aggression in music form which you don't really get in earlier songs yeah it's like yeah the the release of of emotion seems to come first and then the structure follows that I think I should have listened to this one a little more because I love what you guys say about it, and I didn't get a huge impression from it. It's it's not a great song, I don't think, but it's a classic nugget just in the way that it sounds and, and everything you guys said about the anger, the aggression, the sound. I really like the stuttering opening with the drum and the guitar, the, the different rhythms that Rich talked about. I do think the singer is trying a little too hard, but his heart is in the right place. And I definitely like the deep lead guitar line, which I think is a baritone guitar, although anyone can correct me on that. I think that's the fuzz bass. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I'm, al- I'm always cool with fuzz bass. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, another note about this song, or this band, is that uh, their image was that they dressed entirely in black, including a single black leather glove, which apparently did not go over very well when they toured in more like conservative southern regions. Interesting. Oh, oh my! A single black leather glove. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't. It wasn't covered in rhinestones. <laughs> uh, and and the other thing I learned is that apparently, just uh, through his entire experience with the band, Bonowell only got about like seven thousand dollars total from it, and Damn. paid apparently paid eighty dollars to get out of his contract. So he didn't really have a very great experience with music, and he died in twenty eleven. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a bummer, but I don't know. A lot of old rock musicians are dead. <laughs> Just the bad ones. Yes, only the bad ones. <laughs> so the next song is by the Dell Vets, and that's with a hyphen in the middle. And the song is called Last Time Around. Thank you for getting in the hyphen, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> The Dell-Vets were a rock band that formed in Chicago in 1963, and that's about as much as there is to say about them. In fact, that's not even a fact, it's just a thing that's inherent in them being a band, that at some point they were formed in a place by people. And that's pretty much all I've got about them. 
Wikipedia does report that lead singer Jim Lauer ended up in a mental institution, which is an interesting, though dubious, claim. Whether he checked himself in over one bad weekend or has spent decades in a straitjacket babbling about aliens is lost to history. I know which story I like better, at least. The band's 1966 song, Last Time Around, was written by the band's friend, Dennis Delquivist. It's the band's second single out of a total of three in their career. It has a cool, fiery lead guitar solo that presages Neil Young's lead guitar tone, in my opinion. And the bass line pumps. It's a great anarchic instrumental showcase attached to a song that's just kind of all right. And that's kind of a Nuggets thing. A great sound, not always the best songs in my opinion, but there's definitely room for this in the rock and roll world. Yeah, apparently there wasn't enough fuzz guitar on original Nuggets, and Rhino Records wanted to make sure that this error was corrected. Uh, this, <laughs> this isn't even the last fuzz guitar in this set of songs that we're covering in this episode. All I have to say about this song itself, because yeah, the Delvets are pretty standard issue, is... This seems like a pretty normal garage rocker until you hit that really awesome key change in the refrain, which has those really beautiful arpeggiated chiming guitars, like sort of birdsy, and reminds me of R.E.M. as well, but I guess, duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I need to listen to it again. That might be a theme throughout that I'm just, I'm missing these things, but I'm glad you're pointing them out. Well, I mean, I... I the nature of these songs is kind of just to let them like float by in the background because yeah they're nuggets they're just little like you know bursts of noise but yeah there <laughs> there is there are some interesting things going on with in each and every one of these songs if you just uh, listen i guess a little more closely like it's not like you know tales from topographic oceans level like <laughs> but it's also much shorter and more interesting yeah like the turtle song that we're going to discuss has this crazy electric piano solo, I think, that it's easy to miss, but if you listen to it, it doesn't sound like anything else I've ever heard. This is another, this is one of the nuggets that gets by mostly on fuzz. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the, the song itself probably didn't require much effort, but that's okay. You know, you've, you've got a really cool fuzz guitar tone. It's got that cavernous reverb I like so much. This is, it's probably my least favorite of this particular particular uh, stretch of the Nuggets Highway we're covering, but it, this is one of my favorite sections of Nuggets, so that's not really saying much. I, I like it just fine. So the next track is by The Human Beans, and it's called Nobody But Me. And this is one that we all... No, 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 no. was the human beings with nobody but me that was released in september 1967 it hit number eight on the hot 100 because it is very very famous and you probably know it the human beings were from youngstown ohio and signed with Capitol records in cleveland the song originated as sort of a seven minute live jam that the, that the band originally treated as kind of a lark um but after grappling unsuccessfully in the studio with the cover of sunny and Cher's you don't love me they just decided that to record it as a proper single and that seemed like a pretty good idea, right? 
Uh, I'd say. So the, the the best little fact about the human beings to me is that they were originally the human beings, like being with a Z at the end. But Capitol Records misprinted their name on the single um, and told the band that they could put the G back if the song was not a success. <laughs> Judging by the number of times we have all heard this song, you know the rest of the story. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one has nearly lost all meaning at this point, but it's fun to listen to it closely. Like that bass line is so just monolithic, like a giant brick wall, and and the harmonies break the tension really nicely. You're right, Rich. That bass line is everything in the song, almost at least. Uh, the whole rhythm section just cooks, and it's very easy to take that for granted because, like you said, this song is so ubiquitous. Um, and it was ubiquitous even before The Office constructed an entire cold opening around it, which was very clever, if slightly forced. Uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the point when The Office like started to lose me. But that cold open was pretty funny with like st- <laughs> with like Stanley. Uh, well, what they're doing is they're filming a lip dub. Uh, do, do people still do those on YouTube? I'm sh- I think they have like an entire app for those now. Yeah, it's a it's like it's like what that that high school did with Hollow Notes. Uh, you make my dreams come true. Like, uh, it, you know, somebody goes with a camera, like following following several people down a hallway, and they all sing different parts of a song, like while crazy things happen in the background. And The Office did it with this song, and it was pretty funny. And it reinforces that this is just a song that everybody knows. And, you know, The Office was not a show that was out to offend. They picked a song that everybody would like. And that, you know, everybody in the office could conceivably say, oh, yeah, I I enjoy that song. I like that the song has a a Motown style chank guitar. And there's also a killer squealing electric guitar solo. The lyrics are a little dated unless kids these days are still dancing the boogaloo. I have no idea. Um, And maybe because it's been on oldies radio forever, the song seems less like a nugget to me and more like a, a grassroots style pop single. Uh, grassroots featuring Creed Bratton from The Office. So it's a brilliant song, but it's sort of like more of a, a studio creation than something that I could picture a local band pumping out in their garage. But that's nothing against the song. It is great. It is an excellent song, and it's deservedly famous. Now, what I heard about uh, their name was that uh, Capitol Records just kind of took it upon themselves to to call them the human beings to, oh, yeah. to sort of capitalize on the the bean craze at the moment. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I saw that speculation, but I wasn't sure whether to include it. But yeah, that, I mean that's that's perfectly uh, that's perfectly cromulent. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that that's the, the, that's the sort of thing a record label would do back then. We're just gonna change the name of your band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. One notable thing about this song is that uh, I think in uh, Dave Marsh's book of rock lists, this is uh, it gets has the distinction of being the most negative song ever written <laughs> because the word no is said over one hundred times. Well, what if they cancel each other out? Oh, oh, yeah, d- yeah, yeah. Dave Marsh isn't thinking mathematically. So is it positive or negative? Someone would have to count. Yeah, I guess we'll have to figure out the exact number of no's in the song. If we actually, if we actually have <laughs> listeners at this point, somebody do that for us. Uh, we'll give you some Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, send it in. But yeah, it's it's nobody but me. Yeah, I got I got nothing to say about it really that you don't already know. I, it's a really fun song, and it was used to great effect on the first Residence album, Hardy Fox R.I.P. Uh, Right in the middle of a song, this record starts playing, and it skips on the word boogaloo, and it collapses into a bunch of noise. And <laughs> I've I've heard that I've heard "Meet the Residents" so many times that when I hear this actual song, I keep expecting it to stick on the word boogaloo. 
<laughs> and it never does. It's like, girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's girl, you know. <laughs> exactly like You can't that. hear it any other way. So the next song is by Kenny and the Casuals. And don't think that's Casuals with a C. It's Casuals with a K. And the song is called Journey to Time. And don't think that's time with an I. It's time with a Y. Kenny and the Casuals were formed in Dallas, Texas in 1964 by a high school student named Kenny Daniel. They went through several lineup changes before they ended up gaining some local notoriety. Eventually, they even opened for the Rolling Stones, for the Beach Boys, and even for Sonny and Cher. Their 1966 song, Journey to Time, was written by guitarist Jerry Smith and by the band's manager, Mark Lee. Bassist Lee Lightfoot used his new fuzz tone pedal to get an early psychedelic sound out of his instrument. Fuzz! Jer- <laughs> fuzz. Journey to Time became a top 10 hit in Dallas. But to be fair, it should have been bigger all around the country. Because like a lot of Nuggets, I wouldn't call it a great song, but it is a great record. The guitars scream, the drums bang and crash all over the place. I love the energy and the barked vocals, and I can only say that Kenny should have gone places. Well, this is Kenny G. <laughs> then he well, went you didn't know? places. I didn't do the research on this song. I assume it's Kenny G, though. <laughs> Citation needed. So one thing I really, one thing I really like about this song is, uh, you know, when you think of psychedelic rock now, you tend to think of like flower power and wow, man, groovy, uh, but. In 1966, uh, apparently, psychedelic rock uh, had a large contingent of uh, screaming, pissed-off Texans with a fuzz box, <laughs> and uh, it was it was something a lot more a lot more aggressive. And it's listening to it now, it sounds like halfway between psychedelic music and punk, which is you know I guess what what garage rock is really. That's why I like garage rock so much because it's there's it, it a direct link to both of those things. This is this is really kind of an, an an existential sort of song too. This is like he's getting into some deep uh, deep psychological things there. I'm not sure what it's kind of vague. <laughs> yeah. But, so what uh, does the why mean, or is that just like a psychedelic flourish? I think they're just being psychedelic. Yeah. I, I we shouldn't really. I don't know. I I I read the lyrics to Nugget songs in general, but I very rarely find much to analyze. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure if if. I mean, if it were time with an I, I don't think the title would make that much more sense. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, now that you mention it. In any spelling. So this song seems much more tightly structured at the beginning than it actually ends up being. Uh, Like once once it collapses into that fuzz guitar, it kind of like, I don't know, like like you said, it's kind of like, it feels like a Texan Mick Jagger kind of like ranting on a stage, like filled with fuzz (laughs) guitars. I don't know. It's another nugget, but it's it's another entertaining one. It's not one of my favorites on this set, but I'm always in favor of fuzz. All right. The next song is by The Sparkles, and it's called No Friend of Mine. 
originally known as Sparkle Motion. <laughs> but they didn't have enough commitment to them. Yeah. Friend of mine was released in 1967 and did not chart, uh, and that was and that goes for the rest of the songs in this set. Try harder, guys! Come on, really. <laughs> the Sparkles were from Levelland, Texas, which is in way northwestern Texas, like uh, not close to any city, not close to any major cities. One thing I like about the full Nugget set having to dig a little deeper by necessity is is that we're getting some towns that are really honestly in the middle of nowhere, and I don't mean that as an insult. Um, this is deep Texas. Like the the closest major city is Fort Worth, about five hours to the east. America wow. is huge. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Sparkles were formed from the ashes of a band led by guitarist Stan Smith, uh, singer slash drummer Bobby Smith, no relation to Stan Smith, and not the Cure singer. Uh, carried on with the band <laughs> and recruited its most successful five piece lineup, who cut this single for Hickory Records. So, I don't, I have a question about this song. So, as far as I can know, as far as I know, there was no keyboardist in the Sparkles. So I don't know whether that's an uncredited studio musician or an awesome pedal effect, because uh, that sounds like a keyboard to me. Uh, do, do either of you that's, know what that is? That's definitely an organ. Yeah, oh, an that's, organ. Yeah, it's a farfisa or, or a vox or something like that. It makes me think of "For Your Love" by the Yardbirds, where they brought in a ringer to play the harpsichord. Yeah, definitely. So I don't, uh, I, I don't see anybody in the credits. But either way, this song is one of the best in this particular set. Like everything about it is so, so low end. Like it's kind of scrubbing the floor with the mix. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, this is yeah, this is one of my favorite nuggets. I, I like this one a lot. We've got more pissed off Texans with a fuzz box. Uh. And these guys are really mad. Like you can just hear just the 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 betrayal and hurt in the lead vocal. Uh, I really like the uh, he's he sounds like he's got some kind of hype man. There's that that guy in the background who keeps going, yeah. <laughs> well, that actually is Flavor Flav. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think that's a really and he's a, playing the organ too. Yeah, <laughs> well, solved the mystery. Flavor Flav plays everything. <laughs> by the way, he plays the oboe. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, he's actually some kind of musical genius. But uh, I, everything about this song really comes together really well. It's super angry and stomping. The mix is really great and full. It's got that big organ, fuzz and organ, a combination we can all agree on. Uh, this This is a great track. I don't want to puncture the angry bubble here, but this is the exact same opening as the song Not Your Steppin' Stone by The Monkees which came out the previous year. Uh, and that did not do much for the, the Sparkles outs- And that did not do much for the Sparkles angry outsider cred 
But then a decade later, the Sex Pistols covered that monkey song and suddenly the Sparkles had their angry cred back. Uh, <laughs> this is a more convincingly pissed off song than the monkey song by far, although it's not as well constructed or catchy in my opinion. The singer puts everything he's got into the vocals, which I love, and the stinging lead guitar is really thrilling. So it's got great energy, uh, but I could also hear why the Sparkles never made it big. It is pretty funny that it, it's this angry stomping song by the Sparkles. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they should have rebranded. So the next song is Outside Chance by the Turtles. Who? <laughs> Turtles were formed in California in 1965 by a group of high school friends. They had two major strengths. First off, the gutsy, all-out pop vocals of singers Howard Kalin and Mark Volman, and then second in the arranging skills of their bassist Chip Douglas, who later went on to produce some of the Monkees' biggest hits. They're most famous for their 1967 hit Happy Together, which I believe was written for a 1980s Golden Grams commercial, but unexpectedly became a number one hit when it came out in the 60s. The Turtles were a rock band, but they weren't out to offend, and they stuck closer to the pop end of the pop rock axis. And that's fine. They had a series of indelible hits, including She'd Rather Be With Me, You Baby, and Can I Get to Know You Better, which are all basically variations on the same amazing song. The song Outside Chance was written by a then-unknown Warren Zevon, long before he died and even before he became a big-time rock star in the 1970s. It rocks harder than a lot of the Turtles' output. It's got a muscular rhythm guitar part and an insistent cowbell that complements the drumming. The Turtles' vocals, as great as they are, they're not built for anger. The Turtles do enthusiasm really well, and the meanest they're ever going to get is enthusiasm but with a scrunched-up look on their face. But they were pros, they're really likable, and Outside Chance is a fun, catchy song. I'm thinking this song was only included on the Nuggets box set just because one of the people compiling it just thought to themselves, you know what's a great song? Outside Chance by the Turtles. <laughs> there's there's no, uh, I mean, it doesn't really fit the format all that well, but I'm not complaining. It's a great song. It's, I mean, even at this stage, Warren Zevon could really write a song. It's, I mean, it's got, it's got his personality stamped all over it. It it strikes me as a sort of a, a nice compliment to uh, Simon and Garfunkel's I Am a Rock. And not the last we're going to be hearing from Warren Zevon on this set. Oh. That's true, yeah. On this disc even, right? Sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's coming right up. Um, but uh, the, only, the only other thing I have to say is that uh, the Turtles might not have been out to offend, but uh, when Flo and Eddie uh, ended up joining the Mothers of Invention, that certainly changed. 
And I don't, I'm not sure how uh, a band that made such likable music as the Turtles could end up being so unlikable <laughs> with uh, singing for Zappa. Well, they ran into some ooze and then they mutated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to call that the official story. <laughs> Just to ask, because I haven't heard their stuff with Zappa, are they intentionally unlikable? Or does it, do they just not, does, whatever they're doing, does it just not work? It's, well, it's, it's, uh, it's the, it's the real peak of Zappa's just really gross frat boy humor. Mm. Mostly spoken word, bad comedy routines about groupies. And the, the, and when they sing, it's, they don't sound like the turtles. They just kind of scream in this really unlikable way. Oh. Yeah, this the song is great and all. I mean, the the riff is the tax man riff, but I was okay with the <laughs> I'm okay with the jam doing that on the song start, so I'm okay with the turtles doing yeah. that here. Uh, but come on, what are the freaking turtles doing on Nuggets? Like there are already enough songs on these discs. Like there are a few ringers on these uh, that that show up here and there, and I'm yeah, that's all I have to say. I great song, but kind of out of place. Yeah, if if you don't sound as as credible as the Sparkles, then then there's a real problem. <laughs> So, our next song is Action Woman by the band The Litter. Action Woman by The Litter was released in 1967, and The Litter are from Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, in case you don't know where Minneapolis is. <laughs> so The Litter formed from the remains of two separate Minneapolis bands, The Victors and The Tabs, and their name actually refers to a litter of cute puppies, not to trash. Um, oh. However, <laughs> however, they did not help this popular misconception by naming their second album $100 Fine. Which actually, which would be about a seven hundred and fifty dollar fine in today's dollars, by the way, quite hefty. That's a lot of litter. That's a lot of litters of puppies. So, so, the, <laughs> so the litter were heavily influenced by the British invasion to the point where they actually imported albums from a friend in the UK and played songs that American audiences hadn't heard yet, and the audiences would think that they had written them. So, this accounts for the sound of this song, which is very much in the vein of the Yardbirds or the Who or just other like you know just loud feedbacky bands like that. So what I like about this song is that, um, well, Nuggets 2 covers, like, garage rock from, you know, beyond the United States, and so this is kind of a little Americanized preview of it. Despite that, it's never really been one of my favorites on the set, and it leans a little heavily on one dumb rhyme, like the action-slash-satisfaction thing. Um, <laughs> it makes me wonder if they'd like the band The Action, though, who are on Nuggets 2 and are actually quite good. But anyway, I've never really listened to the Yardbirds, and this makes me want to, so good job, The Litter. <laughs> so as the most problematic member of this podcast, the thing I like the most about this song is the misogyny. 
Explain. Saving grace. Explain yourself, Mike. I'm only... <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by Mike DeFabio do not necessarily reflect those of Discord and Rhyme or its shareholders. <laughs> and are going to get us beaten up by Amanda. There is a, there is a lot of misogyny on Nuggets' original artifacts, the original one. Like it's it's a bunch of men in the sixties. There's a lot of yeah. There's a, there's a lot of songs about you know this this sort of thing. My woman ain't giving me satisfaction. <laughs> but I mean that's part that honestly that is part of the appeal of it for me. Like I listen to this and I think, wow, what a jerk. <laughs> it's like high fidelity. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from that, though, I mean, it's it's got more great fuzz. It's it's enjoyable if if you like, you know, if you like this sort of thing, which uh, I hope you do if you're listening to Nuggets. I, I like a little of it. I like the droning bass line and, uh, like you said, that fuzzy guitar solo. It's definitely got energy, and, and I especially like the tambourine. It's frenetic, and it really it complements the drum beat. But, man, it's a pedestrian song. It's The lyrics are generic. The melody's generic. The singing is uninteresting. To me, it, it sounds like Neil Diamond or Gary Puckett just sped up one of their songs <laughs> and added, you know, it added some angry guitars to their gloppy pop and called it a nugget. Well, no nugget this. <laughs> I mean, it is a really dumb song. I should stress <laughs> that. But the, the dumbness is a big part of why I like it. Yeah, that's the thing about analyzing a lot of nuggets. They are very dumb uh, in large part, but... They're so brilliant for that reason. Yeah, I agree, but I'll even differentiate here because you're right. There's a lot of dumbness, and dumbness can be great. But this, to me, this is like dumb and just generic. I don't know. I, I wouldn't even call it good dumb. Well, throw it in the litter then. <laughs> the last song we're going to cover today is called Spaz, and it's by The Elastic Band. And that's Elastic with a K. Another K. We will get to that in a minute. Come on now, that's right. Uh-huh. You're walking down the street, you keep lifting your feet, but you never find a place to go. Never find a place to go until suddenly, man, you never even knew what hit you. History was the back of your head. That's right. Uh-huh. I say get off of the street, get off of the street, boy. People gonna think, yes, they're gonna think. People gonna, people gonna think you're spies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up. And anything we say is just adding to that. Um, the Elastic Band with a K was formed by a group of teenagers in 1965 in San Francisco. They went through the band names This Side Up the Munchkins, and the Gremlins before they settled on the Elastic Band. They are not to be confused with the contemporaneous Welsh band, the Elastic Band with a C, and that band legendarily competed for gigs with Tom Jones up and down Wales from Cardiff to Swansea and back again. Our Elastic Band in America gained local notoriety in the Bay Area. They even opened at times for the Grateful Dead, for Santana, and for the Animals. Their 1967 song, Spaz, was written by band member David Cortapassi. Spaz caused controversy in Europe because Europeans thought the band was making fun of the developmentally disabled, which they might have been. I can't really tell. Gee, where did they get that Uh, idea? (laughs) (laughs) The band had planned out a European tour, but they were warned not to embark because they might be met with a violent reception, and they canceled the tour. 
Although, in my opinion, it's the Europeans that dodged a bullet here because Spaz is not a good song. It's weird, uh, it's brash, it's got a clever guitar riff. And I like the middle eight because they go straight. It's just, it's just basic blues with really good guitar soloing. But overall, it's awkward. It's got this uncatchy stop-start structure, and I would call it a non-beat. It's the sound of someone immediately breaking all the rules, but not having any idea why those rules might have existed in the first place. To the songwriter's credit, he went on to a more serious musical career, and he tried to, and he tried to distance himself from spaz. And it's not his fault that Nuggets dredged it up again. Yeah, this song is hard to listen to for very obvious reasons, but on a purely musical level, Ben, I like it a lot more than you do. It kind of reminds me of uh, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the genre Zolo, which I promise you is an actual genre. It, it, it's a wacky, short-lived genre in the late '70s and early '80s. Like early, early Oingo Boingo is probably the most well-known example, and D- mm. Devo are kind of borderline as well. Mike, uh, you know this genre a lot. No, Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the cardiacs, mm-hmm. split ends. Yeah, the best way I can describe Zolo is that it's very, very prone to weird arrangements and xylophones, uh, uh, which the keyboard line in this song, uh, imagine it replaced by a xylophone, and this basically becomes a Zolo song. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like it because it kind of messes with my brain. I don't like it because it's uh, it's because it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I like that those two can exist at the same time, and it does make sense. I like it. Please direct all hate mail to michael.defabio <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's... What, what What do you say about spaz? Um, one thing I, that I think is interesting... Well, first of all, these guys are from the Bay Area, yet the the guy singing sounds exactly like one of the screaming Texans we were listening to earlier. He almost sounds like some kind of Yosemite Sam cartoon <laughs> Wild West outlaw. Especially when he starts to, uh-huh, that's right. Um, varmint? Yeah, you varmint, yeah. Um, but also, uh, <laughs> apparently the the band had uh, no intention of making fun of the developmentally disabled with this song. It, uh, apparently it was, it was supposed to be some kind of anti-drug song, and it was really supposed to be a response to peer pressure, basically, that the singer was dealing with. Everybody around him being on drugs, trying to get him into drugs, and uh, that kind of had the effect of turning him completely against it, and he was being kind of a contrarian about it. So he, he wrote he wrote this song, um, probably not the best approach uh, to tackling the subject, but uh, <laughs> it's just so mean. It's entertaining to me for, you know, reasons that probably make me a horrible person, but, you know, what else is new? What do you call this record with all these songs? This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp part of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. If you'd like early access to these episodes, visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash discord pod and pledge at the $5 level or above. Our opening theme is performed by the Hector Collectors, and you can find more of their music at thehectorcollectors.bandcamp.com. The closing theme you're hearing right now is performed by Kenneth Crayley, and you can find his own music at 
kennethcraley.bandcamp.com. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-K-R-A-Y-L-I-E.bandcamp.com. And his band Casinos at casinos.bandcamp.com. Music for the theme was originally composed by Andy Partridge of XTC with new lyrics by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors. Listen to Mike's music at otherleadingbrand.bandcamp.com. I'm also going to plug my own music podcast, Detours, which you can find at detourscast.com, and my book about David Bowie, All the Days of His Life, Listening to David Bowie Song by Song. It's available as an ebook on Amazon.com, and it was expertly edited by our own Amanda Rogers. Visit our podcast website at discordpod.com for show notes and for a list of upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at discordpod, follow me at benjaminm1019, and follow Rich at zonetrope, that's Z-O-N-E-T-R-O-P-E. See you soon for the next batch of nuggets, and be ever wonderful.